Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. You remember when you were first saved? Remember the joy, the excitement? And all my problems are over. I've got Jesus in my heart. Everything's going to be wonderful. All honey and no bees. Roses without thorns. It's going to be great. Life is going to be good. Now that I'm saved, all my problems are behind me. And then you found out you picked up a whole new set of problems. Because now you're going in the opposite direction of the devil. Now you're going in the opposite direction of your enemy who is your adversary. You know, when we got saved, we we thought it was going to be easy. Whether you were 9 or 19 or 29 or 59, when, when you got saved, you thought, this is, man, it's going to be great. But life kept happening. And things kept happening. And there were still doctor's appointments. And there were still bills to pay. And there were still kids to raise and parents to take care of. And you began to wonder, what happened? Why does it seem like God is a million miles away from me? If God loves me, why am I going through this? Why does it seem that God doesn't care about what I'm going through? It appears to me that for no apparent reason, things have changed. And I'm back to square one. Nobody seems to care. This is where the psalmist is in Psalm 13. It's a crisis point in his life. Before we get into Psalm 13, I want to remind you of an old illustration you've probably heard. Let's say that uh, most of you have heard the illustration of the, the train where the locomotive is fact. That's the Word of God. I stand here as the car and I put my faith in the facts. But if I'm not careful, I'll step back here to the caboose and I'll run on my feelings. And although a caboose is never meant to drive a train because it has no power, sometimes our feelings overpower our faith And in overpowering our faith, they make us ignore the facts. And we can get so distorted in our thinking by how we feel that it affects our faith, our walk with God. And not only that, we can read the Word of God and know what the Word of God says to us and at the same time say, that may be fine, but it's not working for me. It doesn't work in my life. This doesn't fit for me. These promises don't apply to me. And we begin to get discouraged and defeated and we start hurting and we start lashing out and we wonder if God's listening to us. I'm convinced that this is one of the reasons why the prosperity gospel is so acceptable in America. It's the only place in the world where the prosperity gospel is preached. You don't preach it in third world countries. You don't preach it in South America. You don't preach it in Africa. You don't preach it in Asia. Only Americans would buy this kind of false gospel. 
that if you trust Jesus, you're going to have more money in the bank, you're going to have a better car, you're going to have better clothes, everything's going to be wonderful because God wants to bless your checkbook as much as He wants to bless your soul. Tell that to people who eat bugs because there's nothing else to eat. Who praise God in spite of it. You see, I'm convinced anybody that believes the prosperity gospel is either lying to themselves or lying to you. Because there is nobody, nobody in Scripture that that gospel applies to. Not David, not Paul, and certainly not Jesus. Jesus was a person of poverty. He had no place to lay his head. I find it interesting that we look for a gospel that makes us avoid the things that Jesus himself went through, and yet the goal of the Christian life is to become like Jesus. And we think we should have more, deserve more, get more than our Lord got. We don't want to be nothing so that He can be everything. We want to be everything, and we want Him to be nothing. And one of the reasons that appeals to us is because when we're hurting, we think, oh, if I could just find a gospel, if I could just find a truth, if I could just find something that I could read or hold on to that would tell me life doesn't have to be this way. Well, anybody can lie to you. Turn on talk television on the afternoon. And you can get just one person to lie to you as good as another. Some people use a Bible and twist it to lie to you. Other people just flat out lie to you. But what we have to understand is life is about peaks and valleys. Nobody lives on the mountaintop all the time. I know enough people and I know enough preachers and I know enough Christians to tell you that everything that's printed on the back of the books and everything that shows up in the life of our celebrities is not all true. I've been around enough Christian artists and I've been around enough preachers to know they've got problems too. And anybody that's honest will admit that. Anybody that's honest will say, I have days when I'm on the mountain and I have days when I'm down in the valley. I have days when I'm riding the wave and I have days when I've crashed onto the shore and I wonder where I am and what I'm doing here. You and I need to understand that in, it is in those dark moments that we are to seek the presence of God and to practice His presence even when we don't feel like it. Because God allows those valleys and those doubts and those hurts so that we'll continually trust Him and we'll continually seek Him. Now in Psalm 12, the psalmist, if you read Psalm 12, which is the setup for Psalm 13. Psalm 12, the psalmist feels like the godly have abandoned him. But he comes to Psalm 13 and he feels like God himself has abandoned him. Not only have God's people abandoned him, now he feels like God's abandoned him. Now, let's be honest. You or someone you know has felt that way. You know, God's people didn't come help me when I needed them. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, just like David in Psalm 12. God's people didn't help me. when I, I needed somebody and they weren't there to help me. I needed the church and they weren't there. I needed my Sunday school class and they didn't come through for me. I needed a preacher and he wasn't there on time. I needed this. And then after the devil gets you down that road and you buy that train of thought, then the next thing is you needed God and he wasn't there. 
That's where David is. David feels like God's forsaken him. David feels like God has abandoned him. And although we know the promise that Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, at the same time, there are those moments when our feelings overwhelm our faith and we begin to ignore the facts and we think God has in fact abandoned us. And that's exactly where David is. And so the first thing we look at is that this is a song of distress and abandonment. A song of distress and abandonment. Look, if you would, at verse 1. How long, by the way, four times in the first two verses, he says, how long? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Andrew Fuller says, It is not under the sharpest but the longest trials that we are in danger of fainting. Read the book of Job. Wave after wave of adversity hits Job and he says, no, I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to curse God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Job has a positive outlook in those first two chapters. But when the adversity and the trial and the hurts and the pains continue all the way through that book and as he begins to work through them and sees that God is not speaking to him for 38 chapters... God never says a word to him. Then Job begins to ask questions. Then Job begins to wonder why. Then Job begins to question and be concerned about God and his faith. Then he begins to have these friends that show up and speak falsehood to him. You see, it's not the sharp trial. It's not the moment of the trial. It's when that trial begins to spread out. And the psalmist asks a good question. He says, How long? Lord, am I ever going to hear from you again? Are you ever going to talk to me again? Am I ever going to sense your presence again? Am I ever going to, are you going to answer me? You see, we we live in a world that wants quick fixes. You know, the, the question my wife probably hates more than any other is how long until dinner's ready? How how long until it's ready? You know, men, we're bad about that. You know, we walk in, we don't give any warning, and we go, hey, time for supper. Well, I'm in the middle of fix. Well, how long is it going to take? What have you been doing all day? Don't ever say that. She will slap the ugly off of you. Don't ever, ever say that. How long? How long does it take, Lord? How long, you know, Lord, you're sovereign, you're in control. Why don't you just snap your finger and make it happen? That's the microwave mentality, and we begin to bring that to the way God works with us, and sometimes we want to say, God, who do you think you are to make me wait? If you love me, if you care about me, if you care about what's going on in my life, then why am I having to wait for this? How long will you forget me forever? 
Looks like he's been waiting a long time, doesn't it? It seems like forever. There's no end in sight. There's no solution on the horizon. Ron Dunn says in his book, When Heaven is Silent, we desperately want to believe that all our problems can be solved and if we can just find the right button to push. Maybe we'll find the secret at the next seminar. Perhaps this set of tapes will do the trick. This book, this preacher. You see, we admire people that when we see them on top. But we do not know two things about their lives. We don't know what it took for them to get there, and we don't know how many valleys they've been in. You say, oh, there's a person with character. There's a person with integrity. There's a person that's walking with God. Yeah, but what did they have to go through to get there? What did they have to experience? How desperate did they have to become? You see, we want that kind of life, but we don't want to go through the process of getting that kind of life. Ron says in that book that we have two books in our life, the book of dreams and the book of reality. And any similarity between our book of dreams and our book of reality is coincidental. Every one of us had a dream. Something when you were a child that was birthed in you or a part of you and you thought, oh, I want to grow up and I want to be this. I want to grow up and I want to have this. I want to grow up and I I want our family to be like this. I, I want my life to be like this. And somewhere between the dream and the reality, there's a gap. There's a great space. And you can either live in la la land hoping that dreams become reality or you can live with reality and say, this is life. Now what? Because the truth of the matter is, there's so much we can't change. We may have dreams and we may have aspirations, but the reality is life happens and stuff happens and and life falls in on us and comes crashing in and we get sick when we didn't plan to. There are accidents that we weren't planning for. There are crises in our families and all of a sudden life And that dream we had seems to be an illusion. And unfortunately, we tend to blame God. Rather than going back to the root source of all problems, and that's the devil and sin, we tend to blame God. And we begin to ask these kind of questions. How long? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, to to have God's face shining on you is symbolic of God's blessings. For God to hide His face from us is symbolic that His blessings are over. That the best is behind you. That the best is past. And I know a lot of people that live and think and have bought the lie that the best is past. It is unless you believe God's still on the throne. You see, I think God keeps us off balance so that we'll learn to walk by faith. I think if it was easy, if it would go according to my plans, you know, I remember Jerry Clarice saying one time, if the Lord would just let him be on the throne for five minutes, he could fix a lot of problems. 
Listen, if he lets you be in charge for five minutes, it'd take him another millennium to fix what you messed up that you thought you were fixing. It is only with hindsight that you see how God worked in those times when reality replaced dreams. It is only with hindsight that you begin to see how God orchestrated and moved in all of those things and He taught us to walk by faith and not to walk in doubt. I know what happens. Relationships fall apart. Marriages fall apart. Kids rebel. That little bundle of joy that you brought home from the hospital that you thought was the most precious little angel on the face of the earth has become a hellion. And you don't know what to do. That grandchild that you were so proud of now breaks your heart. Those children that you raised in the church now never come and you wonder, what did I do wrong? Why isn't it working? Did everything I knew to do. The business that you started that you thought was going to be successful now struggles to survive. The help that you took for granted is now gone. And everything that seemed to be well now seems to be falling apart. Lord, how long is this going to go on? David felt abandoned in verse 1. He felt forsaken in verse 2. He is full of dark thoughts. Is it ever going to be any better? The line that I've heard over and over again over the last 10 or 15 years is those of us who are baby boomers will probably never have it as well as our parents did and our children will never, ever have it as well as we have had it. And so we begin to buy the thought, God's forsaken us. That's because we measure life in things we can touch and feel, not in things above. But David is going through this. David is feeling this. Matthew Henry said, The God of Israel, the Savior, is sometimes a God that hides Himself, but never a God that is absent. Sometimes in the dark, but never at a distance. And yet sometimes we feel that God is a long way away and and we meet Christians and they're jaded and they're jaundiced and they're, they're angry and they're mad at God because God didn't do for them what they thought He should have done. And I tell you, it makes life hard and it makes it hard for you to be faithful to the things of God when you believe that the prayer of Jabez is more important than the prayer of Jesus. When you think that life is about expanding your borders and not about, Father, not my will, but your will be done. When you think that the cup passing and the borders expanding in your checkbook being bigger is more important than drinking of the cup of the will of God for your life, you'll get disillusioned. And I find a whole lot more people talking about the prayer of Jabez over the last few years than talking about the prayer of Jesus. 
whole lot easier for us to pray, Lord, expand my borders than it is to look at the people who have hurt us and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's a lot easier to say, Lord, make me prosperous. Bless me in every way than it is to get alone with God and sweat great drops and say, Lord, this is not what I want. But if it's your will, that's what I'll do. How long? Lord, how long are you going to let this go in? Some of us feel like Humpty Dumpty. We feel like we've fallen off the wall and all the counseling and all the help and all the books and all the Bible studies and all the prayers are not putting us back together again. Our lives are broken. How long, verse 2, will my enemy be exalted over me? David had Saul as an enemy and he's, he's beginning to wonder. He's, he's been burned by maybe some believers. He's been done dirty by people who call themselves Christians and he's been fried by his friends. How long is this going to happen? I read a quote by a Christian this week. He says, I've been poked, pulled, punched, beaten up, kicked, lied to, cheated, ripped off, and robbed. The only reason I hang around the church is to find out what's going to happen next. A lot of people that feel that way. They, they feel like Christians have ripped them off, Christians have lied to them, Christians have not fulfilled their end of the bargain. And, and you know, the only reason they hang around is, you know, surely it's going to get better, maybe not, but I, I at least want to see what's going to happen next. The second thing is, is there's an appropriate appeal. When you feel abandoned, there's an appropriate appeal. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Now that little phrase, O Lord my God, is Jehovah my Elohim. Jehovah my Elohim. And here's what it means. Jehovah is the God of promise. Elohim is the God of power. He says, consider and answer me God of promise and God of power. God, you have the power to keep your promises. I've read your promises. I know your promises. I know how I'm feeling. I feel like you're not listening to me. You're not paying any attention to my needs and to my hurts. But Lord, you are the God of promise. And you're also the God that has the power to back up the promises you made. And so he says three things. He makes three requests. Consider, answer, and enlighten. Now let's just look at those quickly. Consider. He felt God had turned away. So the word consider means, God, turn around and look at me. Pay attention to me. God of power, God of promise, turn around and see me. He felt God was silent. So he said, God, would you just give me some answers to my questions? And then he comes and he says, it seems like it's hopeless. He's feeling hopeless, so he wants God to enlighten him. Lord, give me your perspective. Help me to see life the way you want me to see it. Now, one thing I want you to notice about this prayer, it's only six verses. It's not a long prayer. You see, when you're really hurting, you just get to the point. If you're still looking at options, you'll flower it up. You'll try to... Be eloquent in the presence of God. You'll, you'll try to impress God with your words. 
Jehovah my Elohim, consider me, answer me, enlighten me. I mean, pretty simple, pretty basic. You remember Jesus warned us about those who enjoy vain repetition in their prayers. And sometimes we think, if I pray longer, I'll get God's arm twisted. David prayed for six verses. It takes about less than a minute to read these verses. But his whole perspective changed, and that's the third point. There's praise for anticipated deliverance. Look at verse 5 again. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Now wait a minute. Nothing's changed. There's no evidence here that His circumstances have changed, but the waves of doubt have given way to calm. The storm is not crashing in on the sea anymore. His, his tears are dried up, and now he's talking in triumphant language. His, his despair has turned to hope. Far as we know, the clouds are still dark. The sun's not shining. But David's perspective has changed, and his faith has climbed up out of this valley of despair. And he begins to say, Lord, I have trusted in your loving kindness. He has dealt bountifully with me. Now, if you'll notice that little phrase, he has dealt bountifully with me, he's speaking in the past tense. Nothing has changed except one thing, David's perspective. He's gone from, Lord, how long will you forgive, forsake me? How long will you ignore me? How long will you stay away from me? Now he's saying, you know, the Lord's been good to me. The Lord's been good to me. He's dealt bountifully. He's been abundantly good to me. David just goes back and begins to review and think. Well, it seems like a long time, but I do remember over there where God met me in, under the shade of a tree one day. And I do remember over here when God delivered me. Now Saul's been pursuing David and after David and haunting David and trying to kill David. and That's still going on. But his perspective has changed. I grew up on the Mississippi coast and, and we had a lot of hurricanes. Of course, we kind of looked forward to hurricanes because it blew down a bunch of junk. You know, it'd kind of come through and knock over a bunch of dilapidated abandoned buildings and then it cleaned. You know, our town always got cleaned up when a hurricane came through. In fact, sometimes we'd even ask for a class three or four, you know, because there were a couple of, especially some juke joints down on the beach. We just, you know, good wind, you know, blow them through, blow them out, clean it out. But I want to tell you something. I, I sat through Hurricane Camille when it came through Biloxi and, and Pascagoula, and uh, the most beautiful day I can ever remember on the Mississippi coast was the day after Camille. All the pollution was blown out of the air. All the junk was blown out of the air. Now, there's devastation all over the ground. But when you looked up, the sky was clear. It was just a soft breeze. It wasn't humid. It wasn't muggy. All the junk had been blown away. The storm had raced through. And when you're sitting in a building waiting for a hurricane to go through and you hit the eye of the storm and all of a sudden it calms down and the winds are dead and you say, great, let's go outside. You forget that on the other side of the eye the storm's coming again. It's going to blow again. But when it passes, 
your perspective of everything changes and you begin to look and say, boy, this is a beautiful day. I remember going home and finding a tree on top of my car. It's still a beautiful day. I remember getting a saw and cutting that tree off my car all day long. But it was still a beautiful day. See, my perspective was cleared. The storm was over. The after effects were still there, but it was over. What we need to get from God is a perspective on how we view life and how we think about our circumstances and our trials and the adversity that comes our way. And so I want to give you four suggestions, if I could, when you're feeling abandoned. Number one, be honest with God. Be honest with God. I get, I, I, I've been in so many meetings with people and praying with people, and, and you know, they'll sit there, and I mean, life is, life is a wreck. And they're sitting there saying, Lord, you, you're just, and they're just pumping sunshine. I mean, it's just going everywhere. And you, you just say, you know, why don't you tell God how ticked you are? Because you've been telling everybody else. Your Sunday school class knows it. Your family knows it. You know it. But you think God doesn't hear. Be honest with God about your feelings. Do you understand that God's big enough to handle that? In fact, He already knows what you're feeling anyway, so you might as well go ahead and be honest. When you feel like you're alone, when you feel in despair, when there's anxiety, don't try to sound pious. Be honest with God. Secondly, Assume God's presence even when you don't feel it. Assume God's presence even when you don't feel it. Don't let that feelings caboose run your life. Assume that God is with you even when you don't feel like He's with you. Assume that God is near even when you don't feel like it. Remember that the Holy Spirit is inside of you even when... You don't think He is. Number three, stand on the promises of God. Verse 5 says, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Stand on the promises of God. When you're feeling in despair, when you're hurting, remember the promises of God. Listen, folks, there are times when I have to remind God of His promises when there's nothing in me that believes that that promise is true for me. And I just have to stand on it. God, this is what you said in your word. I'm going to read your word to you, Lord, and remind you what you said, which is without error, without any mixture of error, I'm going to remind you this is what you said. You said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. You said that you would send the Holy Spirit to comfort me. I don't feel that right now, but Lord, you said that, and I'm going to stand on that promise that he's here with me right now. So you stand on the promises of God. Finally, sing praises to His name. Sing praises to His name. The problem is, we let sorrow and setbacks steal our song. I don't feel like singing today. That's the very day you ought to. Oh, I'm just so down and I'm so discouraged. I just, I just, I don't, I don't feel like worshiping God today. Then you better worship Him. 
David said, I will sing to the Lord. Now David is not saying, I'm going to sing to the Lord because everything's changed. All my circumstances are fixed. I'm emotionally healthy right now. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm feeling good about life. No, David says, I'm going to choose to think about the promises of God and God's salvation and God's deliverance in the past. And on that basis, I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing praises to Him. Folks, I tell you, the devil hates praise. And if he can get you so focused on your life and your problems and the stuff that's going on in your life that he can take the song out of your heart, he's won. Nothing should steal our song. I will, I choose to, I believe I must sing to the Lord. Singing praises is not just when things are going well. Singing praises is when you're at the bottom. By the way, we wouldn't have the Psalms if David hadn't written songs to sing when you're at the bottom, when you're in the valley. All these songs were written in times of trial. Why? Because you're going to go through them. All these songs were written in the valley. Why? Because you're going to be in the valley. And you have to learn to sing in the valley. Not just when you're on the mountaintop. This is not the sound of music where the Christian life is all your family running up the top and singing the hills are alive with the sound of music. This is about running away from your adversaries and having to depend on God and singing then too. Fanny Crosby wrote 8,000 hymns. We sang one of them this morning. She was blind from the age of six. Let me read the words that you sang earlier today. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whate'er befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whate'er befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. None of us will ever stand before God and say, God, you weren't fair to me. Because God's justice and His love are matched in Jesus Christ. And whatever befalls you, remember this, please. God never said you had to be nailed to a cross to pay the price for your sins. He did that. He was nailed to the cross to pay the price for your sins. So whatever happens to you, it's not as bad is what God Himself had to take on for you. And whatever befalls you, Jesus doeth all things well.
say, well, I don't understand. You don't have to. You just put your faith in the facts and quit letting the caboose drive your life. Quit letting your feelings run your life and stand in your faith in the facts of what God has said. And when the bottom drops out and when it seems like God is nowhere to be found, you say, Lord, I don't know how long this is going to go, but I know whatever comes my way, you do all things well. You may not understand until you get to the other side. You don't have to understand. You just have to live by faith. I want to ask you today, How many of you right now are in the how long stage? And how many of you have gotten through that stage to where even though your circumstances may not have changed, you can say today, I will sing praises to Him. You're... You're either in the how long and in the complaining stage or you're in the praising stage. You're either moving this way or you're moving that way. You're not neutral. Every one of us in this room is either complaining and discouraged and defeated or we're moving toward no matter what we're going through, I'm praising God for what I'm going through because I know He's making me into the image of Christ. Where are you? You're somewhere... You're in verse 1 or you're in verse 6? I want to encourage you today. Start moving toward verse 6. You'll view life a lot differently. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Kett. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.